Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Good morning, church. We're so thankful you've joined with us to worship this morning. And we are in Matthew chapter 10 in our Bibles. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 10. And uh, so sorry I wasn't with you last week. We were, Katie and I, we were celebrating 10 years of marriage. And uh, amen, you can clap for that. And uh, yeah, we uh, were just in about fifth grade or so, I think a 10-year-old fifth grade, uh, trying to advance and trying to move forward. But uh, it was a joy. We got to take the kids with us just because it's hard to travel right now. And so uh, we went on a road trip. And uh, some of you guys saw online. You can check out pictures there and all that. It was a lot of fun. Highly recommend road trips. Gosh, they're, they're great. They're fantastic. I mean, with little kids, it's not easy, of course. Uh, it can, you you got to stop every two to three hours to figure that out. But man, we had a blast. We went all the way up to Yellowstone, Wyoming. And uh, we got a little cabin in Idaho, then came back down to Zion and hiked there in Utah, then over to Grand Canyon, and we did that, then down to Sedona, and we goofed off there for a couple days and hiked. So uh, that was over about a week time, and uh, we drove 3,006 miles, no joke, yeah. We literally could have driven, I checked the map, we could have driven all the way to New York City uh, from LA, that's how far it is, like 2,800 miles, so uh, it was a lot of fun, but you know what, what I'm realizing and uh, something I've been thinking and reflecting on is that relationships are basically the most valuable thing we have in the universe. Really, next to the Lord Jesus and salvation, I mean, relationships are the most valuable thing in the universe, so invest wisely. Invest wisely. Um, you can't get the time back, and so that's, you know... <laughs> When I reflect on the trip, when I reflect on all that we did, I, I just think to myself, like, you know what, I can't do it again. I mean, it's probably not going to happen again, so I just got to go. We just got to go. No matter all, all the different things we got to get back to at home, all those things, they can always wait. It's always going to be there. The, mo the lawn's always going to need to be mowed. It's always going to be taken care of. Always got things piling up. So you better just set things and just keep going. Or... Spend, make time for uh, your relationships and make time for people that you truly love and want to invest in. Invest wisely. Um, that's what I'm learning. That's what I'm trying to figure out. But we had a great time. And uh, if you want to check out more pictures and all this stuff, of course, it's online. But uh, I'm excited to dive into the Word of God this morning in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we had Philip cover last week and a good friend from down south. If you didn't know, he is a mega church pastor's son. He's been in the ministry basically like 40 years. I mean, he's been there. He's been married 20, almost 20 years. He's got teenagers. And uh, he's like, do you want me to pick up your text and teach through Matthew? I said, no, of course not. I want you to come and share your heart. He is a church planner as we are. And uh, he took over his dad's mega church. And uh, he, he had to step in the gap and try to figure this very difficult thing of succession, which very few people have figured out in this day and age. And, uh, you know, they lost their building, they lost their property, and they were up a tree. And uh, one of my favorite things about him, I said, come and share your heart, man. Come and share what's going on. I want to hear what's deeply going on inside of your church, inside of your heart. And he literally was passing gold across the table to us. Wisdom. Uh, and I was so very thankful because, again, most pastors will not share this stuff with you. They won't even tell you about it. Uh, they'll just get up and do something else, which he could have easily done. But he took time, and I was very thankful as I was listening uh, there in Arizona online. Uh, thank you for the live stream, Dave. Thank you. Uh, it worked out for me, too. Um, but it was a joy just to sit and listen and to try and glean because a lot of churches are not making it in this day and age. And uh, they are trying very, uh, very passionately to keep moving forward. And it's not difficult even in their county. Uh, he was telling me about a story uh, how... They uh, were trying to figure out ways to minister in the city. One of the beautiful things that I loved is that he said he went to the gas station on the corner there from his church, and they said, uh, we would love to spend, uh, we would love to buy gas for people for two hours. And he, uh, he's, they, they put aside $5,000 from the church's account to pay for people's gas for two hours. 
And the gas station attendant could not believe the love what the church was doing. You know what else he did? He called up the chief of fire and the chief of police and said, hey, come pump gas with me. Let's serve the community together in the name of Jesus. They both showed up and they're pumping people's gas there. People cannot even believe it. The, the owner of the gas station can't believe it. The fire chief and the police chief are here pumping people's gas and they're loving people in the name of Jesus. People would be like, I don't want money from the church. I don't want gas from the church. He says, well, then you can't get any gas because we own these things in the next two hours. And so people would have to receive the gas. It's beautiful, clever. I love ways that we can minister in our community, figuring out how to love our neighbor. Today we're going to look at a message titled, Men Who Turn the World Upside Down. Men Who Turn the World Upside Down. This is sermon number 46 in the book of Matthew. We're going to work through verses 1 through 7 today. It doesn't take much to turn the world upside down as we can see. The world is upside down, is it not? It didn't take much. And I mean, we're on the verge of almost two years of being upside down. And now it feels like we need to turn this thing right side up. Lord, give us vision, give us wisdom. Sadly, many Christians, family, still sitting on the sidelines thinking they have good reasons to not be making disciples and preaching the kingdom in all of their lives. We all got good reasons, we all got good excuses as to why we shouldn't be ministering the gospel. If anybody had a good reason not to, it was the early church. They would be killed and imprisoned for doing it. Yet it didn't stop them. The question I want to pose to you today, as we look at these very ordinary men who did extraordinary things, is what is stopping us from making disciples here in L.A.? Family, what's stopping you from loving your neighbor? Isn't it a trip? It's so sad how the pandemic has stopped us from loving each other now. Now, now it's awkward to love somebody, right? I mean, it, it, it was funny. I probably shouldn't have done this, but uh, we were at the bomb Mexican restaurant in, uh, uh, we were in Zion. Yeah, I'm telling you, the hole in the wall joint that nobody wants to go to because they don't think it's that good. I'm like, dude, this is it. We were having some chips and salsa. We got to pay two or three bucks or four bucks for the bag of chips, but they were fresh and they were brand new. And, and there was a girl sitting next to us here with her parents, and she was all bummed out and mad, like sitting there all grumpy, you know, and like trying to like stay away from us. We're having fun with the kids goofing off, you know, eating, restaurant, eating in the restaurant. Everybody else having a great time. And at the end of it, I, I realized we had an extra full bag of chips just basically sitting there that we hadn't even, they were just gonna go to waste. And so I looked at her, I said, hey, you want this bag of chips? She looked at me like I was an alien. She went, she didn't even say anything to me, just gave me the gnarliest look. And I'm like, dude, I live in LA. Like, you're not gonna look at me like that. Are you serious? I'm trying to love on you. I'm trying to bless you. She couldn't even receive it because all that's going on. It is so weird how all of this has stopped us from loving one another. Everybody's ticked, everybody's stressed out, everybody's overwhelmed, everybody's frustrated. And it's, it's putting a lid on the work of the gospel. And I would propose to you today that the gospel is, is more available and more ready and more permeable than ever before. How do I know? Because people are hurting more than ever before. Thus, that gives us an opportunity to minister like never before. Pray for people like never before. Be generous with people like never before. And maybe somebody might just break down and say, you know what, nobody's been nice to me for like a couple months. Thank you for being so kind. Wow, you got, you got a special joy in you that just doesn't seem to go away and everybody's lost their joy in this town. Thank you. The disciples chose to forge forward despite the circumstances around them. And they had terrible circumstances. They knew after Bible study on Sunday, after they partook of communion together on Sunday, that when they walked out into that city, they might be jailed and they might be killed not long after. We get to see Jesus pick the 12 today. He handpicks these 12. He could have picked anybody he wanted to. He could have picked kings and queens. 
but he doesn't. He picks these average Joe guys. And he says, you're my guys. This is who I want. And he told them to go. And they went. And they turned the world upside down. The time is now for the church to not be on the sidelines any longer here in Los Angeles. We cannot be on the sidelines. We're losing the game. More than ever, it is time to stand for truth. And the true answer at the bottom of all this chaos is salvation and a relationship with God. The God who made us. The God who is love. Who has called us to love and serve one another. That's what brings true peace in the midst of all these storms. It's only a relationship with him that will bring you true peace in the midst of every single storm. We are in Matthew chapter 10 today. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 in our Bibles. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? I always like to stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. This is kind of a historical text, as you will see, but it's it's proper for us to walk verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Word of God. Because Matthew took time to write it, we should take time to read it and understand it. And I think it will be a very interesting uh, learning time for us all, as we will see that this is a specific text written to a specific group of people. Take a look at verse 1 through 7. This is God's Word. And he, Jesus, called to him twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at this group, these guys, this bunch, you could have chose anybody on the planet. You had your pick, but you chose these. Help us to see your work. Help us to see your calling. We pray that you'd bless this time as you open your word. Minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We see the choosing of the 12 disciples. Here it is, who become the 12 apostles. And um, there, there's all kinds of things that we can talk about here. Jesus had the opportunity to set all kinds of things straight. He could have just picked all royalty. He could have picked all business owners. He could have picked wealthy. He could have picked the very poor. He could have picked um, all different uh, forms of society. Um, Jew, Gentile, uh, Samaritan. He could have picked uh, men, women. He could have picked younger, older. Why did he pick these 12? That's Jesus. His calling and his answer. We will see ultimately what he was doing, but this is very interesting that he could have set a lot of records straight, and he, this is what he ends up doing. I love John 15, 16. Jesus said to his guys, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. Because he had shared with them for three years what he was doing. But I call you friends because everything I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. He says, what I learned from my father, I tell you guys. And then he says this, verse 16, you did not choose me, boys, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. I appointed you as apostles to do this. To go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So he chose these guys. These guys weren't choosing Jesus. Interesting, huh? Can you imagine Jesus choosing you to be one of the 12? Huh? Me? 
Yeah, you, I'm looking at you. No, no, I, well, huh? It wasn't a lottery and a win to be called to follow Jesus. I got the golden ticket. I got the golden ticket. This is not what was happening. When they were being called, they would be called to leave everything. Do you remember when he called the rich, young ruler? He says, Jesus, do you know who I am? I'm rich. I'm young. I'm a ruler. Wow, okay, all right. And check this out. I've kept all the commandments since my youth. Jesus says, really? Oh, you're impressive. You're a hot guy. You're a young guy. I like you. Okay, you zeal. I like that. Go sell everything you have, then come follow me. What? Yeah, go sell it all, then come follow me. Come on, let's go. Wait, I don't think I heard you. I, look, what, what do you want me to do? Yeah, just, you know, all that stuff you got, just go sell everything, and then come and follow me. Come be one of my guys. Oh, um, I can't do that. I'm rich, I'm young, and I'm a ruler. And the text says that Jesus loved him, but he went away sorrowful. He was immature. He didn't get the whole shebang. He thought he, he won a golden ticket. He didn't realize Jesus was calling him to come and die, to lay it down. You see, you didn't appoint yourself. Jesus said, I chose you. He says, you didn't choose me first. Jesus picked his apostles. One thing every mature believer has to realize is we don't get to choose our disciples like Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I don't get to choose my disciples. I get to handpick from L.A. who my team's going to be. doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. Jesus did, but we don't. We disciple family whoever's right in front of us. Whoever the Lord has placed right in front of you who has a desire for God, guess what? That's your disciple. That's who God is calling you to make a disciple. They are trying to love God. They're trying to learn about God. You're like, oh, well, you got to get involved in a Bible study. Oh, you know, I know some people that maybe you should meet. Hello? Why wouldn't you crack open the Bible and say, hey, let's go do coffee? Hey, let's do a phone call. Hey, let's do a FaceTime. Hey, let's sit down. Hey, let me, let me, let me walk through the Roots class with you. We've made the Roots class available digitally as well. You can download our PDF file. What's the Roots class? It's just a five-week class on the essentials of Christianity. If everybody in the church here just chose to do this with one person and take them through the five-week course, you would grow because you're teaching, and that person would grow. Then you could teach them to do that for someone else. Amazing. We could easily make disciples. That's making me feel like I need to make that available this week, huh? We will find a way to do so and we'll make an announcement, okay? So you can have it once again, have access to that. These 12 disciples were the replacing of the 12 tribes of Israel. See that? 12 tribes, 12 apostles. The leadership of the 12 tribes had gone down the, tr the drain. Though they existed, the Messiah had come to establish a new covenant, a new lordship, and a new kingdom, his kingdom, his church, which is the culmination of Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Do you know that just because someone has Jewish blood doesn't mean that they automatically have a special relationship with God? Do you not remember in the Old Testament, there were those in Israel, in the Jewish tribe, who rebel against God. But I got Jewish blood. But they hate God. I got Jewish blood. They worship other gods. I got Jewish blood. That doesn't matter. What matters then? What is the currency of heaven? Faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He is the father of the Jewish nation. He is the father of Israel. He is the father of the believing Jew. So a person who identifies himself as 
being with Israel, still must believe on God, believe him at his word, just as every other person on the planet does. It's all the same currency. It's believing in God's work of salvation. And so heaven will be made up of all people, all tribes, all nations, and all tongues of people who believe on him. That's the currency. And we see these 12 being appointed as 12 apostles now to oversee the establishing and foundation of the church. Okay? Ephesians 2 actually talks about it, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the apostles, the twelve, the choosing, what Jesus is doing, he's laying a foundation for the birth of the church, which is ultimately his kingdom, his people, all those who believe. The church is not a building, did you know that? It really isn't. It's people. And if we didn't have a building and we were meeting outside, we're still church. So it's funny. When we say we're going to church, it is a cultural thing to say I'm going to a building. But if we lost the buildings and we lost all buildings, the church would simply just be a gathering of believers. Do you know that believers are also called saints in the Bible? Yes, the New Testament refers to us as saints. What? I thought those were the holy dudes and the statues. At Vatican. No. It's the believers. We are the saints. You can call me Saint Joshua. Thank you very much. I'll receive that. Thank you. Thank you. The beard's doing it, huh? The beard's doing it. It takes it to the next level. It's beard season if you didn't know. I start growing October 1 and I will grow till January, so it's going to get big. The Lord has blessed me here. You see, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay. I do have some grays coming in, though. Get ready, man. I... Verse 1 in our Bibles, And he called to him, he called to him, Jesus himself, his twelve disciples, and gave, what does the text say? Gave who? Can you see it in your text? And gave them authority. Can you say the word them with me, please? Them. Gave who authority? Them. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. To cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These dudes. He, Jesus, calls his 12 disciples and gave them authority, key word, he gave them authority. Not us. Not us. Who is it speaking to? Them. This is very important. If you get these scriptures wrong in the Bible, it changes your entire perspective of the New Testament. And people have done this. Movements have done this. If you get this single word wrong, it changes your entire perspective in the New Testament. He gave them authority to do what? It says to cast out unclean spirits and to heal, here's the key word in your text, look again, every disease. Every. Every disease and every affliction, every single one, they had the power and authority to cast out. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is for them, not us. For them, not us. There's only two points today, don't worry. For them, not us. There are a lot of scriptures and contexts in the Bible that only applies to those in the text. Now, while we may be able to extract truth and principles from these texts, it doesn't mean they, it doesn't mean they were directly for us. Are they written to us to read? Yes, absolutely. But they don't apply to us directly. Very important. They're written for us to read and extract from, but not written to us directly. When God told Abraham, Bible students, are you ready? So when you read the Bible, are you ready? 
This is an elementary mistake, and the whole church makes it all the time. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I can't even believe it. You don't do this when you read a children's book. You don't do this when you read any novel. You don't do this when you read an article, a news article. But we do this when we read the Bible. Watch. When God told Abraham he would make him the father of many nations, this doesn't mean we can then say, that's for me too. I'm going to be the father of many nations. No, no, that's for Abraham. No, no, but that applies to me too. That's for me. See, I'm going to be the father of many nations. No, no. When God told Moses he would part the Red Sea, we don't then say, see, God told me as well, I'm going to part the Red Sea. Watch, where's my staff? Give me my staff, please. But then we, 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 will, we will stretch it quite a bit and say, I'm going to part every Red Sea. I, I'm, I have the power to part every Red Sea. Careful. Moses didn't part the Red Sea first. God did. God used this guy who couldn't talk. He had a stuttering problem. His name's Moses. He told God, I don't want to speak. I actually have my brother Aaron do it for me. I'm not good at public speaking. He says, no, you're my guy. Okay, fine. Aaron can speak, but you're holding the staff. And Moses, he says, raise the staff, stand back and watch God. That's Moses. I notice we love to apply fancy miracles done in the Bible to our situations, but we don't like to apply the fancy curses <laughs> or judgments God makes on people and nations. We don't say, yes, I'm claiming that judgment over my life. Yeah, I'm claiming that curse, baby. That's mine. And the Lord cursed the people. Amen. Give me that. I love that. Yes, that's for me. Wow, we leave those in the text, don't we? We have to be careful and make sure that the context is actually speaking to all believers and not specific believers if we are going to claim that promise or apply it to our situation. That's why it's very important in this text. People gloss over that it says that Jesus chose the, his disciples and he gave them authority. They immediately say, see, we all have authority to do these things. Careful. Now, again, we can always glean from every verse in the Bible to gain something, but every scripture is not a specific promise to me. In our text before us, Jesus is giving special authority specifically to his 12 apostles and no one else. He gave this to 12 guys and he gave it to nobody else. Verse 1, and he called to him 12 disciples and gave them authority over the clean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And we know the apostles were actually able to do this. And they did this. They healed every disease and they healed every affliction. These guys were, were modern day like, I don't know what else to say. They, they were these magicians, wizards. I mean, a non-believer didn't know what to do with them. They're like, they, they have a magic. They have some superpower about them. And then when they did these works and deeds of healing and supernatural wonders and works, they pointed to Jesus. When people in this day say, I'm an apostle, I always raise my eyebrow. I'm like, what? Wait, what? Really? Do you have authority over unclean spirits? Can you heal every disease and every affliction? If you can, let's go to the hospital right now. Let's go, apostle so-and-so. I'm ready. I know some people who are sick right now. You're an apostle, aren't you? You see, people want to knight themselves as apostle because they want that authority. They want to be able to sway the crowds with that type of title. But then when it comes to actually living out what Christ has called the apostle to do, they can't seem to pull that off. If you can't heal every affliction and disease, you are not an apostle and you are not one of the 12. He gave apostles to the church, and here they are, these 12 guys, and their mission was to go into all the world and spread the gospel. They would show up to tribes and nations that people didn't know who they were, and so they would say, bring the sick. We got blind kids. We got people walking up who can't speak. We got people who are lame and paralyzed. We got people with deformities and all of this. They would walk again into a nation where no one knows them and say, let me pray for them in the name of Jesus, in the name of my God. They would pray for them. They'd be healed. And the tribe would be converted. They'd be blown away because they can't believe something supernatural had taken place. They say, this is beyond. There's clearly something supernatural about you. And then they start to teach them the commands of Jesus. 
The criteria for being an apostle is you must have never one been chosen by Jesus himself. Okay? Criteria number two, well, I guess a part of number one, he must call you. So been chosen by Jesus, he must call you. Number two, have been discipled by him personally for three years. Even the Apostle Paul spent time with Christ personally. Number three, you must have been given authority by him on earth through signs and wonders. And so let's see. You an apostle? Let me see. Let's see. Come on. Pull the rabbit out of the hat. Let's go. Let's go to the hospitals. There's so many people who are sick. What are you waiting for? Uh, go in and raise people up from COVID. Let's go. Come on. They can't do it. Because he's only given that to 12. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't use us, his disciples, in all kinds of different ways. Some being able to pray for the sick and see them healed. Others have a supernatural authority. Other missionaries to plant churches and break into areas with the gospel that no one has. I'm not saying that that supernatural work doesn't work through the church and through disciples and through people. Here is the difference. The distinction is that we don't have the authority to do miracles on demand. Right? When you get on a plane, it's like on demand. All the movies and shows, on demand. Pick and choose as you want. We don't have the authority to do it on demand. We have to wait for God to move. And do you know that God can say yes, no, and maybe, or wait to miracles? He doesn't have to say yes to you right now. He's not a butler. He's he not some servant in heaven. He's the king of kings. Lord, please, I beg you, let's go. Do this work. You can't summon God to do things on your command. We cry out to him and we ask for him to heal the sick, and then we trust his will. It doesn't mean we can't keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking that that door would be open. We can be persistent. We can keep knocking on that door, hoping that he'll open the door and give us that cup of flour that we so desire. Persistence in prayer. But it's up to God's will in the end of whether or not he moves. We trust him. Is he still doing miracles today? Oh, yeah. This is a miracle right here. Look at this church is still alive and moving. We've made it through 2020 and 2021. And we're still able to preach the word of God, hail him as king, and keep moving forward in the city of Los Angeles. Studio city of all places. I tell people we're from, like, we're in Wyoming. Oh, where are you guys from? Uh, we're from LA, a little place called Studio City. Whoa. The whole me everybody is watching the news and the media and they just look on LA and all that's going on here. They just think like, mm, how do you even live there? I'm like, I know, I'm here. <laughs> hey, the sun's pretty nice though. We don't have authority to speak scripture when we want. The apostles actually spoke and wrote down scripture. Anybody able to do that? Not me. They wrote the New Testament. Thus says the Lord. The, anytime somebody says, thus saith the Lord, I'd like to step back. I'm like, do I need to pick up a rock or something? Like, I'm ready to... This is what they would do in the Old Testament. If you said, thus saith the Lord, God is speaking right now, they would be waiting to see if you were lying and blaspheming God. And they would put people to death for this thing. Here now, we got people on television, thus saith the Lord, give me all your money. Everybody's like, give him the money, give him the money. This is crazy. The apostles received the teachings from Jesus and wrote them down as, after they had spent three years with him, and they wrote them down for the church. That's what all the letters in the New Testament are. It's the apostles writing down what Jesus had taught them for three years. He says, this is the way the church looks. This is the way it functions. These are my teachings. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then what? Teach them, boys, girls, teach them to observe all that I commanded you, Jesus said. Don't just baptize them and then say, get out of here. Don't just do an altar call, get them saved, and say, on your way, friend. We'll see you soon. Thanks for coming to Jesus. Do that 
Baptize them, then teach them to observe all that I commanded you, Jesus said. He is the source of truth. After all, he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the one. And so not all of it is for us. Most of it is for us. Some of it is for them and not for us. Very helpful tool in studying your Bible. I want to look at these 12 men and I want to give you kind of just a quick overview of who these guys are. I want you to see who they are. Point number two, if you're taking notes, the 12. The 12. Who are these men? Uh, J. Mac here in town writes a book about them called 12 Ordinary Men, and I love that. 12 Ordinary Men. The 12 disciples were just ordinary men with an extraordinary God. Let me say that again. They were just ordinary men with an extraordinary God. The early church was made up of men and women who were just very, very ordinary, average people who had an extraordinary God to do incredible things. Sometimes I feel like I don't have enough superpowers to pull off what these guys did. I just, I just can't do it. I don't, I don't have it in me. And then you have to just look at them and realize they're just people. Just like you and I. James writes about this with Elijah, says he was just a man like you and I. Just an average dude. That God showed up in his life and did something great. I think of myself as a very average person. Maybe say, say, no, the stage does that to you, see? The stage and the distance and the light and the microphone does that to you. You don't realize I'm just an average guy. I grew up here in Southern California. I didn't grow up with a lot. And by the grace of God, I'm standing here today able to do any of this. And honestly, I do this because I feel it is my calling that if I lay this down and I, and I walk away from it, I feel that if I walk into heaven one day, God's going to say, hey, I equipped you to do that and you walked away with it. Why didn't you do that? I'm just trying to be a good steward of what God has entrusted to me. But I want to remind you, I'm just a man just like you. Ordinary, nothing spectacular, just simply trying to use what God has given me for his glory. That's what we're all called to do. Just take what God has given you, your gifts, talents, and abilities, and use it for his glory. Ordinary, extraordinary women that God has built and entrusted with the good news of the gospel, gifts, talents, and abilities to shake the society. Men that God has built and gifted and strengthened to do great things in the society. Acts 17.6 says, And when they could not find them, the disciples, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. These guys. So these are non-believers talking about the disciples in town. There's like these people, these guys came in town and they've turned the city upside down. Christians, turning the city upside down. And they're not following Caesar's commands. They're claiming there's another king somewhere. His name's Jesus or something. It's so good because it infects and it directly hits at what's going on in our society today. We so sadly need to turn this world upside down. I'm ready. I am ready. If you guys want to go, I am ready. I, I am so ready to see this city transformed for the kingdom of God already. I'm sick of all the fake surface, acting like we love each other, do terrible things behind each other's backs, act like, act all this surface stuff and then go do all these terrible things. Let's stop the riffraff and let's start loving and serving and get after ministering the gospel in the city. I dare you to share Jesus with somebody this week. I dare you. I dare you to make a disciple, just one this year, just one. 
We're just living and moving, and we're not turning the city upside down because we become complacent. I want to walk through each of these disciples to give you a picture of who these guys were so you can see these ordinary men turned extraordinary. First, Peter. You know Peter? Yeah, you know Peter. Also known as Simon, Simon Peter, Cephas, his name means rock. He's the original rock. The rock. Cephas. Peter was probably big like the rock. You know, Dwayne Johnson. Peter was a big burly fisherman. He was loud. He was a gregarious natural leader and an obvious spokesman for the twelve. Peter's name is mentioned far more in the New Testament than any of the disciples. He was the older of the two brothers and the only married disciple that we know of. His wife was known to travel with him when he was on mission. Pretty cool. His assignment was to bring the gospel to the circumcised or the Jew. Peter is well known for denying Christ three times after Christ was arrested. Peter was the one always with his foot in his mouth. He was very zealous. He always wanted to get in there first. He was always charging forward. He was very loud. He's very aggressive. But then he would overspeak and he would get himself in trouble. You know, Jesus is like, I'm going to the cross, guys. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's like, no, you're not. We won't let anybody crucify you, Lord. You're not going to your death. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, get behind me, Satan. See, Jesus says, I've come here to wash all of your feet. I'm going to wash your feet in the kingdom of God. I'm going to show you what love looks like. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet, Lord. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you're having no place in the kingdom of God, Peter. He said, okay, then give me a bath, Lord. Sorry. <laughs> Peter is always the one speaking too soon. But his heart was right. He really just wanted to please the Lord. He really just wanted to do the right thing. He just spoke too soon. And God still used him greatly. He would be the one to deny the Lord three times. And then the Lord would still turn around and allow him to lead the sheep. After his own arrest, many years later, he requested to be crucified upside down, Peter did. He didn't believe he was worthy to be crucified in the same way, in the same manner as his Lord. He died a martyr's death in Rome. Yes, that Rome, Italy, where we go to today still. He died there during the reign of Nero. Some speculate around the same time as Paul was being beheaded. Yep, Peter called to follow the Lord, just a blue-collar guy, a fisherman. Fish in his fingernails, salt in his beard, sun on his skin, and he went to his death for the kingdom of God. Andrew, an early disciple of John the Baptist, Andrew and John, the son of Zebedee, were present when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God. Andrew was standing there. Andrew was the first to follow Jesus, and his enthusiasm was evident as his, his desire to introduce his older brother to Jesus revealed what was already in his heart, a deep love for God. Andrew introduced his brother to the Lord. So cool. He was not a dominant person. Next to his outspoken brother, he was a passionate preacher and shared the gospel boldly and was a significant contributor to the early church, but he was kind of behind-the-scenes guy. Andrew died a martyr's death. He faced crucifixion with boldness and courage. He said, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously, I come to you, being a scholar of Kim, which should hang on you, because I have always been your lover and yearn to embrace you. He said this about the cross. He was not scared to die. He was not scared of death. He had seen the life. He had seen the way, the truth, and the life. He had locked eyes with Jesus. Jesus would say to the thief on the cross with him, today you will be with me in paradise. He knew where they were going. He knew what they were living for. He knew his mission. He was not in fear. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, there's some evidence that Zebedee was a man of affluence. He was able to hire enough servants to make help with his fishing business in Mark 1. In Scripture, James is listed before his younger brother John, yet he remains somewhat obscure except for the fact that he is a part of Jesus' inner circle. He's part of the three, James. John is much more in the front 
forefront of what is happening during the three years of training with Christ. James and John were both known for being men of intense passion and fervor. Because of this, Jesus nicknamed them the, thun the sons of thunder. One, one common denominator that I see amongst the disciples is most of them had tempers. Most of them were fired up and passionate. They were just like aggressive dudes. Just get after it. And they, they, were, they, were, they were riled up. And of course, Christ brought all of that in. He reeled all of that passion in and then was able to use it for the glory of God. James, number three, is the elder brother of John. He's a rather quiet part of the team of the disciples. Now, we don't read much about him in Scripture. As part of Jesus' inner three, he was permitted to be present along with Peter and John when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He witnessed Jesus' transfiguration on the Mount of Olives, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, praying, James. He was the first disciple to be martyred. He was beheaded, and the only disciple to have their martyrdom recorded in Scripture. They cut his head off. Well, what did he do? He was a Christian. That's what he did. He was a real Christian. I feel in our society today that there is a blame being pushed and twisted and poured upon the Christian believers. It is coming in full force. Nero blamed the fires of Rome on the Christians. They didn't do it. And I see it again happening in our society again today. The Christians will be blamed for lots of what is going on. Are you ready? I'm ready. That's why we're here in the city. We're not messing around. We're trying to see people come to know Jesus. We're trying to forge forward as the disciples did. We didn't sell everything have our, I had a nice office, had a nice life. I could have just done the nice, easy road, just kept doing my little pastor job with 30 other pastors to carry all the load together. We're pastoring at a church, 10, 15,000 people, just continue the cruise. It was nice. We sold our house, and we came out here seven years ago to try to start a church and try to, again, make something happen in this city for the kingdom of God. There are so many more Christians in this city. They're just all hiding. They're here. There's 10 million people in this county. You would not believe how many churches have shut down and cannot get back open now. They can't. We have to start to encourage our friends and family to take a stand and to move forward. What is hindering you from preaching the gospel and making a disciple? Our fourth apostle is John. He's known as the disciple of love. The disciple of love. He was also part of the inner three, and he wrote a large portion of the New Testament, the book of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well, and the book of Revelation. Yeah, that John. He wrote more about love than any other New Testament author. His close proximity to Jesus taught him much about love. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. You can go there now. Right there, right outside of Greece, the island of Patmos still sits there. Under Domitian, he was exiled there, but after his death, he was allowed to return. I'm sorry, uh, but after uh, Domitian's death, he was allowed to return to Ephesus where he governed churches in Asia until his death at about AD, in about AD 100. So John's the only apostle to die of a natural death, but it's only because they tried to boil him in oil, in a pot of oil, but he wouldn't die. So uh, then they said, forget it. Just send him to that island of Patmos out there in Greece, and he's like laying there sunbathing, like enjoying the island of Greece. No. Santorini, you know. No, but he wrote the book of Revelation on that island. Amazing. And then he got to go back and serve for a little bit longer than he died. Philip, the next uh, apostle, what do we know about Philip? Almost nothing. Although a Jew, we only know him by his Greek name, Philip, a heart for evangelism. He was anxious to tell Nathaniel, the one foretold by Moses and the prophets, what had been found. They were uh, close companions and possibly studied the Old Testament together. Philip was stoned and crucified. 
at his death. Stone, then crucified. This is crazy. Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, apostle number six, Nathaniel came from Cana at Galilee. He expressed some local prejudice about Nazareth. Jesus recognized how sincerely his love for God was from the beginning when he had said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel may have preached in India, yes, that India, and translated the book of Matthew into their language. He was beaten, crucified, and then beheaded. He died as a martyr while serving the people of Armenia. Bartholomew, Nathaniel, he brought the gospel to that nation. Matthew, our Matthew, who wrote the book we are studying, the Gospel of Matthew. Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Matthew was a tax collector, the most despised people in all of, all of Israel. They were known for taking extra money from the people of Israel to pay off the Romans and to pad their own pockets. He was a mobster. He was a bruiser. He was working the system. He laced his own pockets and he bought off the guards. He's that dude, sneaky. Matthew, the tax collector, and Jesus called him. He just said to him, follow me. He looked at Matthew and just said, follow me. Then Matthew got up and left everything, just like that. He left the table. He left the money on the table. He left everything, and he just followed Jesus. Immediate obedience. Incredible. Matthew brought the gospel to Ethiopia and Egypt. Isn't that incredible? He left Israel and traveled down into Africa and ministered in Egypt and Ethiopia. This guy, the tax collector, the guy from the IRS. Number eight is Thomas. Yes, nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Thomas was also uh, Didymus, meaning the twin, although a twin brother or sister is never mentioned in the Bible. He was an outspoken skeptic to the point of being known as the pessimist. No details are given about Thomas in the first three Gospels other than the mention of his name. John's first mention of Thomas is in John eleven sixteen that Lazarus had died. The disciples feared for their life of Jesus and themselves if they were to go back to Bethany. Thomas speaks up, let us also go that we may die with him. What? Doubting Thomas... Well, I don't know if we should go back to that city because they're going to kill us. Thomas says, <coughs> excuse me, let us go with him that we may die with him. His devotion to Christ is further displayed when Jesus told the disciples that he was going away to prepare a place for them. And you know the way where I'm going, he says. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And of course, we know Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Thomas didn't want to be left behind, and he allowed, the Lord Jesus allowed him to touch his side, we know, after the crucifixion. Traditionally, it's strongly suggested that Thomas started the Christian church in India as well. Some suggest being run through, he was run through by a spear which killed him, in the same way that Jesus would, was killed with a spear in his side which Thomas is the one who put his hands in his side. James the Less, number nine. He's the son of Alphaeus, his mother named Mary. Except for a few details about him, there isn't much. There's nothing more mentioned about him in the scripture. But tradition says that he was crucified in Sinai or possibly stoned to death in Jerusalem. That's maybe why they call him James the Less. There isn't much about him. Simon the Zealot, the political guy. Simon was probably a political activist in his younger years. Why would Jesus choose somebody with this background? Well, it's amazing. The 12 ordinary men, this quote, it's amazing that Jesus would select a man like Simon to be an apostle. But he was a man of fierce loyalties, amazing passion, courage, and zeal. Simon had believed the truth and embraced Christ as his Lord. The fiery enthusiasm he once had for 12, for Israel, was now expressed in his devotion to Christ as one of the 12. So he was a political activist, and all that was turned to now fight for Christ in love. There's some speculation about what happened to Simon. Tradition says that after preaching on the west coast of Africa, Simon went to England, where he ended up being crucified in 74 AD. 
Number 11, Judas, son of James. This is a different Judas, the 11th name on the list. Most early tradition says that Judas, the son of James, a few years after Pentecost, took the gospel to North Edessa. There he healed the king of Edessa, Abagar. And Eusebius, the historian, said that the archives at Edessa contained the visit of Judas and the healing of the king. But they've been destroyed. Traditional uh, symbol of Judas is a, the sad thing, was a club, because he was clubbed to death for his faith. And then finally, we see Judas Iscariot. You know him? He's the guy with the black trench coat on with dark circles around his eyes in all the photos. No, it's not what he looked like. Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Nothing is known about Judas' background. Uh, his encounter and call by Jesus is not recorded in the scripture. He was not from Galilee, that much is known. He obviously became a follower and stayed with Jesus for three years. He gave Christ three years of his life, but he certainly didn't give him his heart, and Jesus knew this. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's an interesting point. Judas spent three years with Jesus, but he never gave the Lord his heart. You know that people can spend three years in church and never give Jesus their heart? Never about relationship. It's more about this system and this rhythm and this religion. God wants a relationship with you as you have relationship with people. He has created us to be in relationship with him. I want to close in this. Verse 5 says that these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them to go. And do you know what they did? They went! They actually went. They actually listened. Jesus tells us, his disciples, tells the church, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that commanded you, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what do we do? We memorize that verse. Right? And then we think we've done it because we've memorized the verse. Could it be legacy that Christ is calling us to go? Go into your workplace, go into your neighborhood, go into your gas station, go, go. Make disciples. Why is it, what has stopped us from doing this? What's put the pause on this? I believe revival may be coming like the earth maybe has never seen because the darkness is so dark. People are more mean to one another than ever before. All, all of these cultural things stop us from killing each other, but man, rewind a thousand years and we'd all have our swords out. Just be killing people off. No more fighting with words. They would fight with other things. I believe more than ever we need to preach the gospel. We need to go and make disciples. And that is my challenge to you. I dare you in the name of Jesus to make three disciples a year. Would you make it a mission to make three disciples a year and to train those to make three disciples? That they would train those to make three more disciples. We would transform the earth. You compound interest guys know what I'm talking about. We would transform the earth in a matter of like 30 years. I'm not even joking. The whole thing would be discipled that fast. It is because we do not make disciples that the weeds just keep growing and they start choking out everything and take over. I want to pray that God would empower us to do that. Can I do that? Let's close. Father, we worship you. We thank you that you use ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things on the earth. The extraordinary things, Lord, are not building giant buildings, building giant businesses or companies. The extraordinary things is us loving and serving those around us so much so that it impacts their marriage that it impacts their lives, that it changes their family, it changes the neighborhood. 
that it changes a city, that it changes a nation that would worship and glorify you and stop hurting and hating each other and start loving and serving one another. Oh God, would you hear our prayer and would you do that work in our hearts first? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Empower us, Lord. Empower us to be able to minister your gospel in this city. We need your touch. We need your help. We can't do it without you. We love you, King. We willingly lay down our lives for you. Use us to love our spouse to love our kids, to love our neighbors, to love our coworkers, to love this city, regardless of how they treat us. Help us to minister your good news into this city that needs good news so badly. We are available. We are ready. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.